So last night is the annual Thanksgiving festival, celebration, feast, perhaps. Some of you are still in the tryptophan or turkey coma, right? No? No turkey? Nonetheless. Last night, it is a time of sharing, it's a time of giving thanks, it is also a time of testimony. And from some of the testimonies that I heard, and probably you as well, that you hear how God has been given his graces to us. How he, how he has protected us, how he has also, how he also carried us through some of the troubling times that you and I may have. Crisis, trouble times. And perhaps this is something that many of us faces or had faced. But how are we to see that? And more important than that, during these times, how do we count what is important? And how do we count what isn't so important? So before I start, let's pray first. Let's pray for God to be with us, that we see him. Heavenly Father, we give thanks. We give thanks that you have, and you have promised, and that you have always been with us. That you see us not only through good times, but also through troubling crisis times. So allow us to also take stock. Allow us to see what is important. What are the important essential things in our lives? And to hold on to these. And at the same time, allow us to also see what are some of the other chaps or unimportant or secondary things in life that allowed us to be able to go and distinguish between the two. Lord God, I pray. I pray for wisdom and I pray for your presence. And I give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been studying when we're going through in Revelation. And today we're actually, actually, past the halfway point, almost. We're in chapter 12. So if you would, turn your Bible to chapter 12 with me. But before that, crisis. Crisis, for many of us, we can see that in a multiple different ways. Crisis could be a financial crisis that you and I sometimes faces. And that our houses, our, our mortgage, or our lives has some issues, and then we cannot pay for some of these things. Crisis. And crisis also comes in in the form of relational crisis. Maybe you and your spouse has been arguing. And maybe that you and your loved ones, you and your children, has not been having, having the most productive or or beautiful relationship. Or maybe you and your co-workers and your boss and others in your office may not also be in an amicable situation. 
maybe it is a crisis of health. That I personally also experienced that a while back, and also some of my relatives, my sister-in-law, as I shared last night, she is also having a crisis of health of her own. These all seems to be external crisis to us. Sometimes we think that these things happened to us, but is it so? But not only the external crisis, they also see internal to us a crisis of faith, a crisis of trust. Do I trust the company that I work for? And do I have the faith to carry on, the trust to carry on with what I believe in? And do I have, and do I have, and do I have the trust of whom we call POTUS, President of the United States? And I am very glad that Patrick was praying a little while ago about what's going on in Washington at this point, what's going on in our country, Zika. Uh, what I'll uh, not use that word. What is going on in our country's mindset at this point? Impeachment. The very word is so denotes a mistrust. And it is a crisis in our country. But not only that, not only are we to go and see, experience this crisis in our own lives, but as we are gathered as a family of different believers here at this church, the church becomes also sees different crises in its life or in her life. Crises such as crisis of faith. Crisis such as crisis of finances. Crisis such as direction or the loss of directions in a church. These things all throughout centuries has been with us. And let me remind everyone again, in the first century, where John the writer is writing this letter, the church was in crisis. The crisis external and crisis internal as well. Crisis external, the government, the society, the people around them, their neighbors because of what they profess, what the Christians at that time professes, that, that Jesus is Lord, that they are viewed as someone that is mistrustful, that they are not loyal to the country that they are in. Because everybody else would say that Caesar is the king, or Caesar is Lord. And here we are having a bunch of people that says, no, 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 the, the king or the ruler of the land, Caesar, is not. Jesus is. And therefore, from a human perspective, their loyalty to the country that, whom they are a part of is in question. But not only the crisis or persecution from without, uh, from 
outside, but it's also a crisis within. That mind you, at that time, that there are heresies going on throughout the different churches. The question is, who is Jesus? Is also a question at that time. Is Jesus truly divine? Is Jesus truly human? How can one plus one equals to one? How can it? How can Jesus be truly divine and truly human at the same time? And is Jesus a separate God than Yahweh, the Father God? And why are we using words such as the Son of Man or the Son of God to describe Jesus? Is he a progeny? Is he a child, or is he a created being? All of these discussions is going on and on and on, and probably going throughout the centuries. Yes, yes, over the centuries, the church and its theologians has gone through many, many iterations and stamping out many, many heresies. But these are simply debates, because you and I today, and our friends within the other churches today. Also carries a small little part of these heresies within us. When we say Jesus is a Son of God, what is in our mind actually? When we prayed, when we pray, whom do we pray to? And so all of these things goes and combines, and all of these things goes. Through the minds of each of the individual believers, and they are also going through the church. My friend, my coworker, in 2008, when I was working at Edison, and he, being a little older than me, okay, all right, quite a bit older than me, he has been saving and saving and saving while he's been working. He's been working for thirty some odd, almost forty years, ready to, to ready to retire. He has a good, he has a really good amount of money. I'm talking about seven figure money, in the in the retirement plan. But you know, 2008 happened, and almost overnight, he see his retirement money. Evaporate before his eyes. You and I also experienced the same thing if you were alive back then. Not only is he sad, but at that point, he was planning to go and retire the year after that. And here, at 2008, a critical, a crisis point happened. And he reevaluate, and he take a look. He see stock. He takes stock of what is in front of him, what is in his life, and what are the essentials. And here, brothers and sisters, these are also the same question that you and I have as well at a time of crisis. Not that are we going to face it or not. Yes, there is no escaping it. You can pray. You can go ahead and try to hide. You can try to go and 
use some of the business terms, you can remediate it out, or you can go ahead and risk mitigate it out. But there's no, there's no evading these kind of things. And you need to go and meet it head on. But while we're doing that, what are the essentials? What are the important things? For him, in 2008, and he was saying, okay, all right. First thing first, let's go and put the financial house in order. No more cable bills. Let's eat out with his wife a little less, very much less, and so on. And so he tried to go and put his financial bearing back into place and also investing in some other things that doesn't evaporate, perhaps. Nonetheless, the, the third thing that he did is to say, okay, I will go and delay my retirement for another 10 years. 10 years, that's a long time. But nonetheless, while facing that, many of us will begin to reevaluate what are the essential, what are the important things in life. Church, church during crisis, the crisis of the church, is also a constant reevaluation because the church is in the society. Trying to paraphrase some other people that I know, the church will constantly need to reinvent itself while keeping on the essential aspects of our faith. But the methods and the ways of engagements and how we think about what, us imp what is important always, always are at the core. But the non-essentials, the things that are not so important, those will need to constantly reinvent itself. Because, because of what? Let's take a look at what the Bible teaches us as well. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 12. And remember now, Revelation chapter 12, well, to put it very obviously, it follows after chapter 11. The scene is that we have already seen the seventh seal. I mean, we have already seen the seal judgment. We have already seen the trumpet judgment. And now we're in an intermission. John is processing the scenes and the... And the and the vision that he has seen. And he is processing that through. And here we encounter chapter 12. Now we see, oops, sorry, <laughs> missed a slide. Ah, uh, yes, church closed. <laughs> here we see in chapter 12, First, we see the war in heaven, where the, there is a person, there is the dragon sy symbolizing the dark forces. The Bible also uses another word, not only dragon, he also uses another word called Satan. 
what does the word Satan evoke or means to you? Is Satan this word used exclusively in the New Testament? Or what was or what were the meaning of that in the Old Testament time? Well, simply put, in Job, we see that this, the discussion between God, the ruler, the king, and Satan, right? In the beginning chapter of Job. But you'll recognize that Satan, that word, is always predicated, at least in Job, with the word the. It's an articular word. Sorry, using the, another word for it. There's always the word the in front of it, the Satan. Why is that? And what is the role? Or is it a person? Well, to put it simply, in the Old Testament time, as well as in the New Testament time, Satan is articulated or is articular because it is a role, the role of an accuser, the role of someone that functions at a certain job, a certain position. Today, instead of the word accuser, we will use the word prosecuting attorney. What does a prosecuting attorney do? Well, yes, you can simply say he prosecutes. But it is to go and discern, it is go and pick apart and to see what is going on, what is the problem, what is the fault at the accused, as the accusing party. And so here we see that Satan is personified, or rather dark forces is personified in the form of a dragon and also in the form of Satan. Now we see that there is a war, the war of rebellion, the war of saying, God, your will is good, but my will is better. And that leads in into what we are reading today. So if you would, please read with me, starting with verse 10 and going on to verse 13. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of this Messiah for the accuser, Satan, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night have been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heaven, and you have dwelled in them, and you who dwelled in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he has been hurled to the earth, he pursued a woman who has given birth to the male child. Lots of symbolic languages here. In the most obvious way, we see that Satan has been cast out or removed from heaven. 
And how is that possible? And here we see that it is possible because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Whose testimony? Do you remember the picture that we had a little while ago of the saints, of the believers who followed the Lamb that was slain? That picture. When we talk about warfare, when we talk about opposing forces, many of us will go and think of force against force, to go and use that against one another. But here in the Bible, it's saying that they triumph over not by sword or by might, but it is by the blood of the Lamb. That picture talks about sacrifices. That picture talks about love that dares to sacrifice. And so it is also the same with the Christians who follows Jesus. And because of that, it also says that they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Obviously, this is, this is to encourage and this is to also give strength to the people back in the first century because they are being persecuted. But notice also that the dragon or the dark forces or the accuser is now cast down to earth. You and I here, without being blunt, we are here on earth i.e. the dragon or the dark forces or the accuser is also with us on earth, i.e. the church is also on earth, and so on and so on. The whole scenario is that we are in the midst of that. So So with the dragon or with the one that opposes to God amongst us, what is the cri- what is the crisis to which leads to us counting us re-examining what is important to us because we, there is no escape from that then we need to face it and in doing that what is important in the last couple of months sorry in the last couple of weeks I've gone through some re-examining of some of the very basic, what we call doctrine in our belief. What does that word mean? That just basically means what are some of the things that we believe in? What is salvation? And what is the church? And what is a whole host of other things? And I've I believe that it is important for you and I to re-examine some of the core things that we have taken perhaps for granted for a while. In re-examining some of these things, it also allows me to go and to rethink what is important. By the way, here's here's a question for some of you. 
what is your impression or what do you think of our church today? And what do you think of our English worship today? What the what the with the rules and with the rubric of what is important. And the last question, what is the future of our church in light of what we are today? These, these thoughts, I believe that you and I need to keep in mind. Someone told me this. Someone told me this before. Keep the faith, and preach the word, and everything will be okay. On the surface of it, that is true, because that comes from the Bible. That is true. But if we stay on the generality. And we hide behind generalities, and we do not go into the weeds, and we do not re-examine what is in the root of these things. Then we just float, and life goes on. But we never take root, and we never grow. Crisis allows us to see, and examine what is important. In the past, I've talked about the four core values of a church. That it is a connect. The church is to help brothers and sisters and help people to go and connect with God, and allow us to go and connect with, and help us to go ahead and connect with the to the community. And David last night asked me, "What would you consider a community?" I'm paraphrasing you, by the way. Is little league baseball game, and all of the parents there, a community? And when we think about it a little deeper, that is a community, and that is also a mission field, and that is also a place and an occasion and a time that witnesses can be made. Not only is the church to connect, help to connect, but the churches go also go and help to grow, to grow our trust in God. Not merely the knowledge of God, but our trust, our faith in God. How is that possible? You and I can recite many, many biblical verses. But when crisis comes, when our when our relationship with our loved ones shatters into million pieces, when the bank shows red instead of black, when our job is on the line, when all of these things, or some of these things, or none of these things happens in our lives, how is the church allows? You and I to grow deeper into an abiding trust in God. That is growth, not just a memorization of things. 
and also churches also to go and help to serve, serve into the gifts that God has given us. That some of you are highly talented. And in serving, it's not just to go ahead and make Pastor Peter's life a little easier, but it is also to discover how God has gifted you and your relationship with God grows closer. And the last, of course, is multiplication. You have heard, you have heard me talk about these before, but where are these values from? And how can we deepen all of these? And the value comes from three things, as best as I can remember and as best as I can understand it. It comes from, of course, the Great Commission. You heard me and you would say, Pastor Peterson, enough. I have heard enough. You're talking about the Great Commission. Yes, and I'm sorry. It is important to me, and I hope that it will be important to you as well. That it says that go, therefore, and go as I, as I unpacked it, it is not to go into Thailand or, or Taiwan or, or Burma or some of these other places. Yes, yes, yes. But it is also go on in your life. The time that you go to Boba Express or the time that you go to Seven Leaves or, or the time that you go to your high school or whatever, wherever it is, go as your life goes and begin to make disciples. Discipleship, disciple-making takes time. As David and some of you who are in sports knows, developing and helping somebody to discover and to be good at what they do takes time and takes intentional time. Making disciple takes time. And it's not, it's not only the job of a pastor to do that. It is you and I together we do that not only about not only about the great commission yes we are to go and to make disciples of all the nation baptizing them into the name of the father son and the holy spirit and teaching them all that jesus has taught us we all kind of know that but here's something that kind of in our back of our mind for a while and this is the important aspect of counting and, uh, and of thinking what is important. That we are also, as Jesus has said, to be the salt and light of the world, to the beacon of hope and a force to pr pres preserve. Somebody explained it to me this way. That light in a dark place is not to go and just shine and make yourself be known. But it is to repel. It is to go and force back what is dark because you shine the light into it. The dragon symbology, the symbol of the dragon, that he has been hurled here on earth. And the earth, in a, meta, in a metaphorical sense, is darkened. And Jesus calls us to be that light and that salt, to go and repel that darkness. What does that mean? Last night, there was a healthy discussion 
around the dinner table around about the issues of seeing the homeless here on Pacific and other places here around us. And we can see that as injustices. We can see that as this should not be. We can see that as a neglect or a dereliction of due, uh, responsibility from our government. Or we can see that as, an, as a darkness that you and I can go and repel. Not to repel the people, but repel the dependency as well as the helplessness, as well as the hopelessness, as well as, I don't know where to go. That to the dignity of human beings. But it's not only to repel, but it's also to go ahead and persevere. Uh, no, to preserve, sorry, to preserve. Jesus famously goes and tells, us, tells the parable, and says, like, if the salt loses its saltiness, and you and I today, we read that verse and say, huh? How can Morton, you know, a, 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 a container worth of salt, how can that lose its saltiness? That is impossible. What is Jesus talking about? The point wasn't to, but the point is losing its purpose. Salt's purpose is to enhance flavor as well as to preserve. All, most of us here are Chinese, and all of us here are Southeast, are Asians, one stripe of another. You all know what salted pork is, right? You all know what salted duck and salted sausage and salted this, that, another. Why do we salt things? The ancient people, no, no, not today. Why do we salt things? Before the day of refrigerator and freezers, this is how you go and make the meat last longer. In the same way, Jesus is talking about being that salt. That is a purpose of the church. That is an important purpose of the church. And have we forgotten about that? And of course, all of these needs training, and all of these needs equipping, and all of these needs mobilizing. And this is also a function of the church, to go, to go and to mobilize that you and I, to fulfill that function, to fulfill that purpose. Crisis allows us to go and look in, borrow another person, look into the face of oblivion, and start to count what is important and what isn't so important. What isn't so important at many of the churches today which we thought it was important is to go and say, well, we'll focus on doing certain things. We'll focus on teaching. We'll focus on preaching, we'll focus on something to the exclusion of these things that is on the screen, the purpose of a church. One of the saddest things that we see is that the American church today and also the Chinese church 
because we're part of American churches, has forgotten its purposes for the last few decades. And why is that? One of the last story before we close. The last story comes a couple of days ago, here on a Wednesday night, that we see a couple of people coming here to pray, to pray in a language that I'm barely understanding. I'm trying to learn Spanish, but I'm not very good at it. Nonetheless, one of the brothers here praying, we're, sent, we're praying to a couple of nights ago to send him back. He was from Honduras. Now, some of you read the newspaper, and you know what's going on in Honduras. He escaped Honduras, and he came here, right? But there is corruption. There's darkness in that place. For many of us, we'll go and say, Hallelujah, God saved me. We are here in the United States away from the darkness away, from the persecution away, from the corrupted government that will do a lot of horrible things. But he is planning on going back. He's planning on going back also with another friend of his, a photojournalist friend of his. And they have also had enough, has collected over, the to, over a period of time what is going on there. And they are bringing to some of the people here in our government, trying, trying to ask for certain things. But within a couple of weeks, he's going to go back to Honduras again. He's going to go back with his friend again to, to capture a little more, to go and journal a little more, to go and confront the government a little more. And he plans to be back in March of next year. But our prayer is that he actually can make it back because he and I also know that he may not, and there's a good chance that he will not, be able to make it back. I'm not talking about he missed a flight. I'm talking about the government is going to have him and going to go and kill him. But why do people do that? Is it because he is fearless? Is it because that he is insane? Is it because... No, let's turn it back to verse 11 that we just read a little while ago. Let me go and read it with us. They, Christians, triumph over him, darkness, by the blood of the Lamb, the gospel, and what Jesus has done, and by the word of their testimony, what they do in light of the word that they have from Jesus. And they did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Pretty easy to explain that. That the purpose, the church, is always it's always to evangelize, to make disciples. It's always to be that beacon of hope and that 
forced to preserve, and also that we are to go and multiply, to teach more, to embody, to witness, to be a model, to whatever wording group that you will want to use. But this is who we are. And this is who, how John encouraged his people in the first century. And this is also how the Holy Spirit encourages us today in the 21st century. So when you ask, when you ask, what is, the, what is South Bay Alliance Church going to be like in the future? And I pray that God will show you an answer. Because you and I make up the church. And you and I are the ones that Jesus has called to be that light and to be that salt and to be that force and to be that representative and to be that agent of restoration to what is good, to what is in God's will. Because the dragon has been cast down from heaven to earth. And we are dealing with that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We give thanks. Our Lord God, we confess this. That many times, as we face these difficulties, as we face crisis in our lives, we're like deer staring into the headlight. But allowed us also a moment of reflection taking stock and taking count of what are the important things in life and allowed us to also believe and also take action into what you have said also that who we are that we are agents of yours representative ambassadors we are the ones who will join with you to redeem and restore that which was lost and to bring glory to you in the process. And so, Heavenly Father, wherever we are, be it in the baseball field, be it in our workplaces, and be it in our home places, allow us to remember the purpose and allow us to also begin to discard that which was not so important. And over the years, we have collected a lot of toys. We have collected a lot of unimportant things and placed them into the prominence of importance. And forgive us for doing that. But allow us to also to determine to follow you as you have encouraged the believers in the first century and allowed us to bring that forth into the 21st century today. Heavenly Father, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.